I'd like to continue this morning reflecting around this theme of mindfulness as, uh, as we practice it during the day. Um, but also just to begin by saying that um, we're, we're very uh, aware that there's, as I mentioned last night, that uh, there's different uh, uh, motivations, interests within the group in relationship to this topic. Um, and, uh, you know, ranging from some of you that have done a lot of practice and very familiar with Buddhist forms and very comfortable with that and very familiar with that. Um, some of you that's completely new and it's not what you quite signed up for. <laughs> and coming from NHS and more interested in mindfulness in relationship to it being a therapeutic tool in your work. Um, and those that uh, love silence and don't want to hear much and just want some silence and those that silence is difficult and want to hear more and more guidance. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a diversity of, of interests and connection to this theme, to this topic represented in this room. And each of us carry our own relationship, but we also... Each of us will represent a different sort of piece of the puzzle uh, in relationship to this, uh, this very interesting, both ancient and emergent contemporary um, practice of mindfulness. So, I, um, so, you know, I really want to honor all of those pieces and say, you know, we try and speak to each different piece, but, but to, for all of us to also to stretch a bit and to... to um, if we can, to, to be patient and accommodating with each other's, with, with all the different kinds of interests that the group holds as we explore and open into the theme through the day and through tomorrow. <clears throat> you know, as, as I was saying last night, um, a very fine a teacher, a monk called Ajahn Sujita, would always say that these experiences of coming into a, a practice session like this, a retreat, it's a bit like putting on this baggy suit. It's a little uncomfortable. It doesn't quite fit snugly for us, but we kind of accommodate it so that we can work and move together. So here's the baggy suit. <laughs> and also wanting to, to acknowledge that for those that have come into the retreat and have come, say, from NHS or come from really wanting to explore what's, what can be applied from this, this skill of mindfulness in your work and feel maybe uncomfortable or not resonant with the Buddhist contexting and practices and devotional practices, bowing, chanting, and so on, to... to I mean, there's different things that come up in, in my mind when I reflect on that. I think on one, you know, one is that uh, to really give a, a, a huge sense of permission for you to engage or not engage as is comfortable for you and to really respect, as I do, as we both do, where everyone's coming from and what's right for you. And, and also to say, well, in some ways also there's a meeting of, um, in this context, a meeting to some degree, a very small degree, really, of the tradition, this sort of rather funky ancient tradition that's carried um, and embodied this teaching so there's in a way it might be a bit exotic or unfamiliar but there's a meeting of you know it's almost like meeting the old grandparents I'm, I'm not talking about Mahasi and I but <laughs> I guess we, I am getting older but it is a bit like you know tradition is a bit like meeting the old sort of the old gnarled grand, you know, grandparents, you're not quite sure what to do with them or you know, they're a little bit maybe not resonant. But there's something about also recognising that, 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 um, that the, 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 the teachings of mindfulness have emerged, emerged from, this, um, from this tradition and, and have been, you know, the, that we're in a process of translation as we take this, this tradition, these teachings into our modern, contemporary, fast-moving, stressed-out global context and Western psycholo psychological framework. How do we? There's a process of translation that's happening. It's been happening for 30, 50 years, not just literal translation in terms of what does this word mean from Pali or Sanskrit to English, but there's a psychological translation of happening, a cultural translation happening of this teaching 
and you know how 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 does that happen that happens through a process of you know through exploration through things fitting things not fitting through through in some ways being perhaps not very streamlined and clear cut you know and and you know it's just how it is it was we feel one feels one way one's way into different teachings and aspects of the teachings and then as an individual senses watch which piece is useful for us and which piece we can leave aside and which piece do we care to to embody and pick up so that's that's a question for each of us as an individual um so in our, you know, in Mahesi and I approach, our pr- approach, I guess, is we have come from this quite classical tradition and that's going to come through in how we present this topic and present these teachings and it's something that's almost like second nature to us and so that's going to be part of the package. But again, just to, to leave and put back to you that you respond and pick up whatever you feels relevant and leave the rest as... as um, our forest master Ajahn Chah, forest teacher of Northeast Thailand, would always say after he presented Dhamma, Dhamma talk, or or teachings, he would always finish by saying, "Well, please use what is useful and leave the rest with me." <laughs> and I think that's a good criteria for this, as we find our way, each of us individually, through this process of translating something that's ancient into a contemporary and individual context dependent on our needs and our psychology and where we're at and how we're using it. So so um, <clears throat> all of that aside, in our baggy suit, as we um, accommodate different needs and interests, just to come to the... Um, to, you know, uh, I think I'd really like to start to reflect this morning is a little bit, again, picking up last night, you know, when you kind of been driving and busy and you come into a retreat once, takes a while to change gears. And, I, you know, so I'd like to go back to some of what I touched into last night and explore it a bit more in terms of how mindfulness can be understood. Um, and then um, I'd like to ask if Mahesi will maybe say a few words about the application, the practical application of that in terms of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is the... In the in the texts, the Buddhist texts, you'll find in the in the in the canon, which is the which is a which is the compiled suttas or sutras of the teachings of the Buddha, which emerged as after the Buddha's awakening, and he wandered and he entered different dialogues with many many different kinds of people, different factions, uh, um, asp- uh, different. Um, people from different uh, spheres of the society. Um, His teachings were memorized to some degree. We don't know how absolutely accurate that is, but memorized and recorded and passed on orally, and then about 300 years after his passing, they were written down in a body of work that we now have called uh, the Pali Canon. And within the heart of one of the texts, the Majjhima Nikaya, you'll find what's called the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta's which sati meaning mindfulness and patana means foundation, which he lays out the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is really, you know, the heart, although he calls it the, the great way or the, the only way of, of not saying the only way, i.e. I have to be a Buddhist, but the way of liberation of the heart from all forms of suffering or dukkha or, or liberation from ignorance of the heart has to happen through some process of awareness or some process of discernment investigation um, some process of uh, this activity of self-empowered mindfulness so in the in the in he gives in a way lays out the the, the practice and methods for that so I'd like to you know we want to touch a little bit into some of those actual practices um, this morning as we'll be using them through the day so this, just to go, let's just begin with this word mindfulness because, of course, it's an English translation, isn't it? <laughs> you know, what was the original word? What was the meaning? How is it understood? How is it usually contexted? Because it doesn't just stand on its own. Of course, we're, we're looking at a teaching that emerges from an understanding that there's, everything is interconnected. There's an interconnected relationship. So nothing stands on its own. We don't stand on our own. No, it's part of our 
experience of ourself stands on its own. It's interrelated with, you know, with a flow, with a process of previous conditions that emerge and create, you know, bring about this experience here and now. Um, and in the same way, mindfulness as a practice is is um, related and connected uh, with other pre, you know, with with other skills and supports for its arising, and 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 sits alongside other dimensions that help um, flower and inform mindfulness and bring it to its fullness. In its, in its heart, this, this word that we've translated in English, or it's been translated in English, which I think is a, a, a little bit of a reductionist word, um, mindfulness in terms of the fullness, perhaps, of its original meaning. Um, because when we think of mind in our Western context, we don't usually have the same understanding of mind as it, as, as it as, as was in the time of the Buddha. Usually we think of thinking or we think of one dimension, the brain, um, and we think of maybe the brain of the head. And we're, we're very much, I mean, part of our, our difficulties that we have in our contemporary society is, that, is the splits that we have in, within the sense of mind being split of how we understand mind from, our, from a fuller embodiment. You know, so, so mindfulness... Yeah, there's is is perhaps not you know as I said not the fullness of how we can understand it. So the the word sati in Pali, shmriti or shri in in Sanskrit originally had this connotation of of to remember or to bring back that bring a wholeness back together the sense of bringing together that which has been split apart that which is fractured that which is dismembered. So it has this sense of bringing fullness or, or remembering or being present to or remembering to be here, remembering to be here in a certain way in the fullness of our being. Not just in a part, not just in our thinking or not just caught up in a, in, in a storyline or in proliferating about, you know, getting anxious about the future or gnawing over something in the past or not just caught up in in a turbulent feeling, but to be here as fully as we can on every level of our being, our dimension of our being as we can. And, and we, we don't do that by running around trying to collect bits and pieces of ourselves, but it's a natural, there's a natural process of gathering that starts to happen as we are more attentive. You know, so also implied in this word of sati, is the activity of being present in a way that as we're more present, more attentive, you know, practicing in the foundations of presence, attentive within body, um, primarily body, breath, present within our awareness, then the pieces of ourself, the unconscious parts of ourself, the fractured parts of ourself, the repressed, the depressed, the... <laughs> The, uh, the alienated parts of ourselves start to be illuminated and gathered within this sense of presence. Um, so that's, you know, in a way, the, f- the first dimension or activity of mindfulness is this regathering, reclaiming, if you like, the reclaiming of that which has been lost to us, often through, as we know in our psychological therapeutic work sometimes, the pieces of ourselves that get lost and alienated through wounding or traumas or, or um, you know, habits of disassociation from denial, from all these you know, play, the ways that, we're, that we cope or survive. We cope and survive by splitting ourselves up and, and repressing and, and usually um, often denying our sensitivity because, it's, because there's been pain. Yeah, we've received experience of pain. So, you know, just by the very activity of becoming more present or being more aware, sometimes what we start to receive back into our awareness or into our consciousness, what becomes illuminated, is parts of those parts of our self, our body, feeling, memories, perceptions that, that might, that will inevitably carry some pain. <laughs> 
And we can think, oh, something, uh, you know, when we sit to meditate, often people think, oh, something's going really wrong because <laughs> I've come to meditate and I should feel very peaceful because that's what it says in the book. You know, I, I, I watch my breath and I do the step one, step two, step three, and, and actually I feel worse. <laughs> you know, I, I might feel peaceful for a while, you know, because it's just nice sometimes to shut up and be quiet, and we think, oh my God, you know. But then as we carry on, we start to become aware of levels of discomfort, difficult feelings that might come up. We might become aware of the turbulence that we carry, the, the stress in our shoulders, um, you know, different pains in our bodies. And, and this isn't a sign of something wrong, this is a sign of health, actually. You know, that, that actually what's we're, we're reclaiming parts of our being that have been frozen or stuck or alienated and as they thaw out and as they come back into the warmth and radiancy of the of the aware heart they'll begin to thaw and the symptom of it's just a symptom of that that there might be discomfort so you know one can't really enter a, a journey of of mindfulness without in some capacity on some way realistically acknowledging that we might have a confrontation and if we're teaching that and working with others in the journey of mindfulness there might be and there probably will be a, some level of confrontation with that which is uncomfortable or painful and you know this was why there, there has to be a, a deeper level of trust in the process rather than a reaction to the symptoms of what might emerge you know, trust in the innate health of our being. So mind, mindfulness, another um, couple of things to, to say before we talk about the actual practice of it. Um, in terms of the context, context, the context of understanding, you know, I mean, in some ways, I think Mahasi said last night that you know, there's something about these words, mindfulness, the Dhamma, that you, you never can quite capture. <laughs> so there's this fathomless sort of aspect to it, you know, that actually as we enter more, because what we're doing, inviting ourselves to enter more deeply into the present, which is an entry into a depth of, you know, not necessarily... Um, a sense of certainty and uh, and knowledge and and uh, but a, a sense of of unpeeling and recognition of a level of un, unknowing you know so a level of something that's a bit more mysterious which is life itself so deeper relationship to that so this mindfulness this word sati is usually married with i just want to bring in two other um well, first of all, Pali terms, and then we can unpackage those in terms of understanding a, a context for holding this practice of mindfulness. You know, the activity of mindfulness, the activity of attention. So usually it's married, some, you know, there's this phrase that you'll find in the original suttas often, uh, that where sati or mindfulness is married with this, with, with two dimensions. Firstly, one which is called sati sampajanyas, mindfulness comprehension. I want to come to that term, but before that, another term, sati, and it was a, a term called yoniso manisakara. <coughs> I'll write those terms up on the board, don't worry, if you're interested in... I mean, many of you won't be, so it doesn't matter anyway. But but, the, but I find them very interesting to go back again to the original um, um, definition, the etymology of some of these words, to really give us a fuller sense of what, what does this... What, what was implied in this activity of awareness, training of attention? What's, in, what's, what's a fuller understanding... So it's, you know, we could say, you know, in one way we could say, well, being mindful is being very attentive to what's present, our experience of body, feeling, sensation, our reactivity. Um, in the same way as when we're driving a car, we might be really attentive. How does the wheel feel? How does the, you know, how is, am I sitting? How do I sense my experience as I'm driving? You know, and we could 
we could identify mindfulness with just concentration, which it isn't. Again, that's a reductionist idea. It's just about really concentrating. But if, we, as we know, if we're driving in the car and we might be really aware of, we should be hopefully very aware of what you know, the, everything that's involved in driving. But if we don't have a global awareness of actually what's happening around us, what's moving in the traffic, what pedestrians are on the street then we're going to have a crash. So, so to broaden out the mindfulness just from maybe a, a fixated, attentive state into also this dimension of a global... So this Yoni Samani Sakara has more the sense of a global holding. Mindfulness is a way of bringing a focus of attentiveness, but it also has within this a dimension of a global awareness, a global holding, or that which can contain that which we're in relationship with, can hold rather than react, or, 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 or further deepen the patternings, particularly if they're unwholesome or unskillful or neurotic or painful patternings that we, that we all have. And so yoni, yoni the, the, literally means womb. You look at the, the, the word yoni means womb. And sometimes in some of the early translations, they'll translate it as primordial matrix. Mani means, mani means um, mind or an aspect of mind. It's that the aspect of mind that, that, that's able to create the sense of uh, name the world as an object to the sense of subjectivity. It's that which names, which thinks, which discerns, which, which is able to say the world out there is different from something in here, which we usually call ourselves. So this, this aspect of mind that's, that's, um, that separates, separative consciousness separates out and says something out there. And sikara means to make, kara connected with the word karma, so it has this connotation to bring or to make the mind, to bring it back into, this, into the womb or into the primordial matrix or to bring the activity of, uh, of mind, heart, being back into this womb of awareness rather than have it flood out. So in this, this, this sense that, that the experience of our you know, every, not just just the, the flow of mind and thought, and uh, but also the the experience of of body, feeling tones, um, sensations, the experience of of heart, of mood, of tendencies, to bring all of our experience into relate into this this sense of. The, the, the more global aspect of mindfulness, that which is aware, that which is present to. So the sense of gathering back into, gathering everything into this awareness, rather than thinking about, when we think about ourselves, we create ourselves as an object, and then we kind of get you know, caught up in all sorts of views and ideas and projections and, and resistances. So we're bringing what we usually call ourself into another dimension of, of, uh, of consciousness, which is this pure awareness. And in that process, the activity of mindfulness is to know, right? to know it's like this, rather than to think about, to know, to have a sense of awareness, to know it's like this, to discern, to discern what, what's present here, what's happening here. Not to judge, but to just discern, is this, is this wholesome, is it positive, is it negative, is it, should it be followed, should, should I let go? But what, we're, what the knowing that we're tapping into in this awareness is connected with this second word, satipajanya, which means wisdom. It's a knowing deeply rooted, not in thinking about fixing trying to sort out but it's deeply rooted with with a dimension of what of of this consciousness this awareness which mindfulness opens us up to which is a which is an intuitive wise responsive intelligent dynamic fluid uh, uh, wisdom 
So, so we're bringing the processes of ourself, body, mind, heart, into relationship, into the heart, into the womb of awareness, which by its very nature and its very activity seeks to bring balance, health, restore innate sanity, innate well-being. So mindfulness you know, implies being able to be here, to be attentive, but also to, to ponder. Another, another understanding of this Yoni Somani Sakara could be to discern, but also to fathom or to ponder or to contemplate, to mix with our experience, this awareness, this presence, this mindfulness, in, and try what we trust, what, what, what we can learn from experience is we trust that as we deepen into, you know, we, we, we soften out of our reactivity and our uh, compulsive um, thinking about into a, a deeper place of consideration or contemplation or awareness, and what we can trust is that what emerges from that is the intuitive knowledge and wisdom to respond appropriately, to heal, to bring back into balance. So the technique, if you like, I don't think mindfulness is a technique, though it might be taught like that, but anyway, it can, you can use technique. I think techniques, when I was working... Last year, and I spent a, did a placement in NHS in mental health, and certainly I, you know, with some people you know, suffering from you know, working with very difficult, you know, panic attacks or depressions or you know difficult states, um, then I would, you know, obviously teach them Buddhism. They didn't know that <laughs> or meditation, but to actually. Encourage people to learn how to to be attentive to the actual process of their experience in a way that they could empower change, empower a different response. So I think mindfulness can be taught as something that self empowers. You know, so if you're feeling on the edge of a panic attack, which is I'm working with one client that had these panic attacks, to to use the breath. Like, you know, to teach three or five, as we did early this morning, slow, deep, mindful breaths. To feel, can you just move into that edge instead of just defaulting to the pattern? You know, to actually recognize there's another dimension that's playing here. The the perspective that the, that which can is not just compelled to repeat the pattern. You know, that can create space and in that space can hold some steadiness of, of awareness and then within that there can be rather than reaction and pattern and then suffering there can be maybe a more healthy response you know, so trusting that if one can induct someone into their own presence into their own through the activity of mindfulness you're inducting them into their own innate wisdom their own health you know you're not healing them there. You're helping them access their own health. And it only takes a, you know, it only takes um, a little bit of an experience in that shift and it can begin to change, create a whole new pathway for someone to travel along. When I, um, when I practiced as a nun... And I'll, I'll finish just now, so I'd like Mahesi to say a few words about the practice. But just um, in the early years when I was practicing and uh, living in a community which was quite difficult, <laughs> quite intense. And I, I remember uh, one experience, this is very early on in my practice, where I'd gotten very angry about a situation 
and um, where I felt someone wasn't putting their weight in a certain way in the community. And I, f- and I got so irrationally angry that it was way out of response to the trigger of what, what had happened. And I found myself actually landing up in this enormous amount of rage because it started to tap into all my deeper patterns of feeling abandoned and not met and all that stuff. And as I was contemplating this, I think I really began at that point to understand this path of mindfulness because before that I had two options. Either I repress, repress that energy, which was very frightening. You know, when rage and anger really comes up and it's not socialized and it's not repressed it's like an atomic bomb you know i could have had the energy to destroy the whole world it was so, it was just so white hot and blinding at that particular point and um and so actually i couldn't repress it but, but i had learned through my life to repress that kind of energy quite carefully because it's not very pretty <laughs> it's not very nice <laughs> So I, you know, I, you know, that's one. And then, so I'd had either that or acted out. Well, I was socialized not to act out anger, so I was more like the repressive, depressive kind of syndrome. Um, but you know, it was so strong to act out that energy would have been a disaster, or or, or walk away. You know, the, the sort of flight or fight syndrome. Those were my options. But I had been practicing for a while, and I did know that there was another way. <laughs> But it was like it, it became to a crunch moment where it was like, well, I had to really use this mindfulness. So at that point, you know, I, I actually started to work with the breath to calm down, to feel the energy, to notice it, and to really take it into that womb of awareness to contemplate it. And as I was doing that, I could feel the enormous physiological reaction, the panic, the 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 the, the storylines that were firing off, the whole physiological process that was going along with it, and just calming and calming and being with it. And as I started to work with it more and work with that energy, it started to move from the sense of me being angry about someone, or you know, um, to the feeling of anger. It's just anger, rather than me being subjectively became an object I could contemplate. And then it became more universal. It became this sense of actually, this is war. This is where wars come from. This is anger is the extreme of separation. It's, it's where we're completely enclosed and isolated, and we fight out of that point. This is where the, you know, the psyche goes into a very isolated, cramped space. And as that started to open up, and I could feel the universality, then I could start to feel the compassion for myself, for all of us, you know, in this predicament. And you know, I realized what had happened in that process is that actually, rather than the reactivity, the mindfulness was operating. I was applying just the, the attentiveness, this awareness, this holding of the energy, the containing of it, not the repression, not the acting out, just containing and holding and contemplating and trusting that this deeper flow of awareness uh, can put things back into ba- balance, into harmony. So I'd like to invite Mahesi to speak for 10 or 15 minutes about the practice of So, um, good morning everybody. Um, I like this uh, theme of holding and um, as an image and a theme of uh, the, womb, the womb as well as an image for mindfulness. I'm going to quite quickly be moving through the four foundations of mindfulness, which is sort of the classical framework uh, the Buddha taught um, to give us some way of orientating ourselves around this rather nebulous idea. Uh, but I would, came to mind um, as an important um, place to start something. I just wanted to p- 
put out there this idea that comes from the Zen tradition uh, about two different powers or two different types results that come from from effort. Um, they call it self power and other power. And when we th- and, and and this principle applies to the four foundations of mindfulness all the way through, and it also ties in with the idea of the womb, the womb-like nature. Uh, because um, now, if we approach the idea of mindfulness from, of, say, a very sort of secularist or, or or reductionist or scientific point of view, which is, that is fine, it has its place, it's absolutely relevant. We may think of it, or from a Western, the sort of most common Western uh, point of view, it would be that mindfulness is something that is self-generated, that we have to do it. It's a result of an effort that we make. And while that is partially true, we do have to make an effort to arouse the energy um, to be present for our experience, which is a self-effort born of, um, you know, our own, our own energy, our own will. When we do that, we are met by this other thing, which is a bit harder to understand, or harder to appreciate, or more easily missed. In, in Theravada, we would call it tathagata, which means the thus come one or the one that comes towards it's this is a energy in the universe uh, or we could in Christian terminology perhaps think of it in terms of grace something that we're met by something that lifts us up so in terms of all this effort that we're making to explore mindfulness and the self-effort that we're making to sit here and be present try and notice and appreciate and understand and maybe even sense for yourself recognize this non-personal um, non-personal in the sense of not generated by you not made by you uh, quality that also meets us or we are met by in response to this self-effort that we make so there's this mutuality there self-effort and then the one that comes towards we are met by uh, this quality of this womb-like receptive-like holding-like quality of of, uh, consciousness Um, that is not self-generated and and is is, uh, transcends all the structures of self and so in the four foundations then this is what we discover. Um, uh, always starts with the idea of breathing. As we discussed, uh, breathing is, um, is always um, a central theme. Uh, mindfully breathing, you know, uh, in the scriptures it says, uh, we, you know, we sit down cross-legged and set mindfulness before us. So this idea of mindfulness before us, uh, I've seen in more detailed translations of the sort of etymology of words that actually it literally means establishing mindfulness at the center of the chest. So um, in this sense, we're, we're, uh, we're letting our attention drop from a sort of a brain-centric, mind-centric position and beginning to sort of let our attention become more expansive and open to to the body and in particular to the interior experience of the body. Most of the time we're pulled out, so we redress that balance by when we meditate, by, by um, uh, establishing a, a clearer awareness of the interior of the body. So the first foundation of mindfulness then, and all four foundations, they're maps. And these maps are basically inviting exploration. You know, so the map is the one thing, the journey is another. So you start in the dark, you take the map, and then you start feeling around and start saying, okay, I recognize that this is described in the map, this is described in the map. And in this way, you begin to scope out the territory that you're actually in. You know, so it helps to really uh, f- 
and it's this brilliant teaching that helps and enables us to familiarize ourselves with what's uh, what's key, what's important to to the practice. And then there are these progressions as our mind qualities of mindfulness deepen, we become aware of more and more refined levels of mind. So the body then is a relatively coarse level of mind, you know, where like I was encouraging you last night, you know, being aware of the kidneys and the heart and and all of that, that, that these are uh, relatively coarse objects, aren't they? But there's no escaping what follows as we become more aware of the interior of the body and more grounded in that. Obviously, the, the Vedana, the sensations of life, uh, are also magnified quite powerfully, positive, negative, and neutral. And our relationship to those sensations then is, is called into question. How responsive, how able are we to, to um, uh, cultivate uh, a choiceless awareness in the face of what's arising and what's in the face of what's uh, impacting us? So I'm moving along at a pace here. So um, as we become aware of sensations, again, we begin to cross into new territory and enter into uh, this this word that there's all sorts of... This is where, you know, different commentaries start saying different things and different teachers start describing different things. They call it the jitta, or uh, the jittanusati, mindfully breathing, you know, uh, we contemplate the jitta. Well, what is what is that? And um, this is a bit more hard to to nail down. I've heard a scholar describe the origins of the word coming from an ancient uh, word from Central Europe. I can't remember exactly which language, which is spelled K W E I T. Has a uh, the meaning of it uh, was um, actually whiteness, and it had also the uh, it was also a word that was used to um, describe uh, wheat, the idea of uh, a singular uh, like a grain of wheat that at the heart of it had this pure white uh, nourishment. It also doesn't take a great leap of imagination to take the idea of whiteness and get to the idea of light. And so the jitta, in a sense, has to do with the essential nature of our mind as, as we go beyond uh, the coarse per- perceiving the, the body on the coarse level, we get to what you might call a feeling body. And then, we, then as we go deeper, we get to what you might call an energy body or a light body. I mean, in this practice, ideas of radiance and illumination, they are... They're true. They're real. These are qualities of mind that we can that we can come to experience. Especially, these are the qualities of mind that really the Tathagata qualities, the Buddha qualities that that begin to we begin to feel embraced by and held by. That enable us then to relax, to ease into, to let go, to offer up, to resolve. Um, the content of our experience, whether it's painful, pleasurable, or neutral. In the scriptures, this is this is really one of the key areas. In the scriptures, are also on this level uh, of of um, in, in this um, level of mindfulness, there are different possibilities. We're invited to contemplate the jitta in, in an expanded state. So that's in a sense when it's when it's in its more light and it's more radiant and it's more whole state. And we are then invited to in, explore the jitta more in its uh, contracted state. So these are very subtle, subtle but very significant shifts in attention that we need to understand if we want to... to uh, get a grip of this deepening process.
if I um, it, it has to do a lot with um, a quality the the the, the the way we focus, I can focus on my finger. If I focus on my finger, then it comes into being and in I begin to isolate it from everything else. It becomes, uh, it, becomes uh, it, it exists in isolation of everything else. But in the same way, I can make a subtle shift of focus that doesn't reject the presence of, say, of my hand, doesn't reject it, where I absorb more into the space. And that, that shift of focus completely changes the quality of holding, doesn't it? And one, one kind of holding um, is, is narrow and exclusive, another type of holding. The other type of holding is very open and inclusive. And if you think about the quality of space, it's, it's something we all share. Not only is it outside of us, but it's inside of us as well. If, I, if I'm actually at one with the space and I'm simultaneously embracing you all, but I'm also inside of you all. So this is a metaphor, and a very pretty accurate metaphor, an external metaphor for actually how, how it is on the inside too. We can notice how our attention or our focus can lurch towards a pain in the knee or an anxious thought. And it, it becomes identified with that and it isolates it. And then we lose the sense of the bigger picture. We lose a sense of the holding. Space holds the absence of space it's like it's it's this against everything else that it, it gives rise to a sense of isolation, which gives rise to a sense of fear, a sense of anxiety. So this is the territory that you're expo- that that uh, we're being invited to explore. Then at that level of mindfulness, how fundamentally we absorb into objects, and how we can without rejecting objects, shift our attention, shift our focus so that these objects are received, but uh, we don't be, our sense of self does not become defined by them. This is, this is key. Our sense of self becomes defined or understood as being this spacious holding quality in the, uh, that we don't generate, but, we, but is revealed to us as we move through these uh, different layers of, of mind. When the jitta is, is established, when the jitta has, has some stability, some openness, then um, there is a clarity there and an ability. We will find that we can then move into the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is uh, uh, called, uh, is to do with the contemplation of dhammas, the contemplation of the way things are. The space, for example, in this room is in is holding each one of us. It's in contact with each one of us. It's it's uh, it's um, embracing each one of us. And from the position of the spaciousness of mind, we can begin to touch and explore not from not from a notional idea, but from a very in a very sort of visceral and tactile way, the nature of everything that, that arises into our experience. We touch it, and then the teachings, uh, the Dhamma teachings, for example, the key, key entry point, simple one to begin with, would be impermanence. We can be then, you know, we're given this map, we're given this, this entry point, we're given this, this uh, invitation to explore the existence of impermanence. So from... From this more spacious perspective, we can not impose the idea of impermanence on our experience, but begin to notice the actuality of impermanence. And and this is a different kind of understanding to the understanding that we commonly have in it's not a, that, that we commonly. Uh, sort of imply in in worldly life, 
as it's been called by some, um, and I like this image, water logic, because it has uh, it has a, a fluidity to it. It's um, it's it's wisdom born out of the moment. It's not something that you can grasp onto. I mean, we keep saying to you, um, you know, mindfulness is about knowing less. Mindfulness is about letting go of knowing. And here we are, all this stuff's coming out. You know, it's like we know nothing, but we've got lots to say. It's how does that add up? But everything that we say really is coming out of the, of now. It's relevant to now. It's pertinent to this moment. But it's it can't be retained. It's not about information. We're not trying to give you information that you could carry away. We're trying to catalyze or facilitate this awakened quality that can reflect on your experience directly in this moment only. So this is the this is the um, this is the, the sort of the wisdom, the logic, the kind of the way the cognitive mind is utilized and works when it's grounded in these foundations of mindfulness. Because we certainly don't abandon it; we don't just become passively receptive. We are receptive, but in the quality of awareness, there is also great intelligence. There's great natural, reflective um, uh, capacity. So these are the... I mean, we're running over time now, so I'm going to have to wind up quickly, but these are the four foundations uh, in, in a broad stroke... Kayanusati, the mindfulness of the body, Vedanusati, mindfulness of sensations, positive, neutral, negative, Chittanusati, the uh, contemplation of the the expansion and contraction of the essential mind, and um, uh, Dhammanusati, the contemplation of Dhammas. So it's always useful to really reduce it back down to these very simple ideas because that you can grasp when you're sort of wondering, you know, what's happening, what's happening, what to do, you know, whatever. You can grasp these simple ideas. Oh, yes, contemplation of the body, what's that about? Contemplation of feelings, what's that about? Contemplation of chitta, dhammas. They are... They're there to work with their tools, you know, and and uh, you never you never finish working with them. It goes on forever, but it's simple enough to remember. This is the, this is the beauty of it. You want to have something that you can actually remember in practical terms. Those those things, and at the level of dhamma impermanence, I would suggest that that's a really good place to begin. <laughs> to just say something about the walking meditation because we're going to go from this period of instruction into a period of walking meditation. So we'll be directly just translating uh, what uh, Mahesia said with um, what I suggest this morning is encompassing all, all of what he said, if one can, but using primarily also as a focal point and a grounding point the, the first foundation of mindfulness, which is which body and breath. So we'll be, you know, using that to just help returning to the simplicity of the moment, the shedding of extraneous things that we don't need to be worried about right, right now, here and now. So in the walking meditation, what I like to encourage, and then I'll give a demonstration just now for those that are new to this practice, is working with a Burmese method from the Burmese Forest School, which is called the rotating of senses or bringing awareness at the sense doors. And this, in a way, is quite um, doable, very easy to do. And it's really helping us shift from a dualistic consciousness, because we usually, at the sense doors, is where we experience the sense of you out there and me in here. There's something, you know, there's the difference. (laughs) You know, there's the, the, the object 
that I'm hearing, there's the, the people that I'm seeing, um, there's this experience of an objective world, and then it's affecting the, the sense of me as a subject. So this is usually our experience of the senses, and usually we, we kind of, the, the energy of the jitta, which, uh, or the mind or the heart that uh, Mahesh has just been talking about, sort of pours out the senses and gets tangled up in the sensory experience, like and dislike, preference, struggle, reactivity, being drawn, being repelled. This is the kind of dynamic that can happen, being entranced. But in this uh, contemplation of rotating of the senses with the walking, we're learning to move from that dualistic consciousness into a more unitive consciousness, into a place of awareness. We're using the sensory experience to bring us back into the fundamental nature. I like that. I hadn't heard that translation before of the essential grain of wheat, (laughs) the essential uh, core awareness which is, you know, when we're functioning from awareness, we're, we're more unitive. We're actually less cutting up the universe into pieces and we're more experiencing that wholeness or that spaciousness within which everything is arising and passing and everything's included and nothing is excluded. So when, so for example, in the walking meditation we'll be, I'm, I'm going to show you, but I can't do the mic and show you at the same time, so I'll explain it first and then show you. We'll be taking a pathway of about 20 paces outside in the gardens. It's a beautiful morning we have. And then we just walk up and down our pathway. And then every so often we'll stop and we'll just, ex- we'll just experience seeing. But rather than when you're seeing, usually when we see, we look at an object so if I, if I look at you, then immediately I sen- feel a sense of me, <laughs> the subject, and then there's the dynamic. Um, but in this way, what I suggest is you practice seeing where you don't focus on anything in particular, but you just hold a more global way of looking. So you sort of relax the gaze, and in a way you're letting sight come to you. So if I now let this experience and perception of the room come to me, and I'm not focusing on any one of you in particular, then I'm, what I'm experiencing is a more global holding, this global awareness. And I feel the sense of a more unitive experience. I can feel that sense of you inside the awareness, me inside the awareness, the voice inside the awareness, or the space. When I look at one of you, then I'm like, there's me and there's you, and it's like... <laughs> so a few moments of just looking... Practicing being with sensory concept, uh, the sensory experience of seeing in that way, and rooting each of the senses back into this awareness, back into this heart. You know, if one wants to physiologically track the the uh, a sense of landing, then this this heart space, this front of the chest, is a very good place to get the sense of of a rootedness into awareness and then down into through the body. And then a few moments of listening. So usually again we kind of move out these these sensory experience of listening and we get tangled up, you know, it's lovely listening to the birds or they're annoying me or I, I like the sound of traffic or I don't or and we start a whole dialogue. But just listening to sound but also listening to silence. So we're not we're not sort of judging the sounds or getting caught up, or but we're just listening to sound and allowing sound to again take us back into the one that's listening, the awareness, the sense of presence. And we're listening to sound, to silent. So we're exploring, can we be really mindful, aware at the sensory door? And then the third uh, rotation of the senses is the feeling nature, which is very, very powerful for us. You know, often feeling nature is turbulent and mixed feelings and like and dislike and upset and you know there's a place of great reactivity so just stopping for a moment and feeling into the body you know as the second foundation is it pleasant is it unpleasant rather than it's me and I'm anxious and I'm fearful is it there's a sensation as pure sensation what is it like Rather than the storyline, it's just uncomfortable feeling or it's pleasant feeling, taking the breath, mixing the feeling with awareness. So allowing, rather than, as was saying, that focus just on the particularity, you're mixing with it this global, 
globalization. There is the particularity of the one feeling or the one finger, but there's also within that, and mixing with that, the global awareness. It's a non-dual situation, ultimately. So. so just to this very simple activity of walking and um, walking, practicing at the sense doors. So just to give you the form of it, and then we can do it for half an hour, because we went a bit over. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.